We're going to begin this morning in Hebrews chapter 11, starting at verse 1. In this series on building a better family, we've looked so far at the necessity of having the gospel at the center of our marriage. And what that means is that we first must know how much we've been loved before we can love. There's no other way to love until we've known love. As creatures, we have to first be loved and understand God's love before we can love one another. And that's fundamental. Last week, we looked at the... um, Actually, sorry, I'm jumping ahead of myself. The week after that, we looked at the importance of taking responsibility. Because until we take responsibility for the state of our marriage, there will be no changes in our marriage whatsoever. And we looked at how Jesus took responsibility for us and the implications of that for marriage. Last week, we looked at the importance of communication in marriage and gave some practical tools about how it is we can do that. And hopefully, and I know for a fact, all of you just went and applied that diligently, and it's just been unbelievable ever since. And they laughed. Well, this morning we're going to talk about the importance of walking by faith in marriage. Now, that might be seem interesting to you, like, in, wow, walking by faith in marriage, what's, what's that all about? And so that's what we're going to discover. But before we do that, let's pray and ask that God would meet us this morning and work in our hearts and minds. Father, we come before you as needy little children, and knowing that apart from you, we are lost. And Father, we desperately need you. We look to you to help in every way. We need you to pity us. We need you to have mercy on us. We need you to look upon us and see our state and be moved because you're a God of compassion. Look upon us as children who are in your beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not look upon our our half-heartedness. Do not look upon our complacency. Do not look upon our indifference, but Father, look upon Jesus and break our hearts Break our indifference. Break our pride. Break our complacency. And Father, stir us and stir us and awaken us and grant us faith that we would believe and hold fast to your truths and promises. For we ask it in Christ. Amen. Well, if you're married or have been married or know anything about marriage or have seen marriage from a distance you know that it can be difficult at times. See? It can be very difficult at times. Tim Keller in his book on marriage said, No marriage I know more than a few weeks old could be described as a fairy tale come true. Sometimes you fall into bed after a long, hard day of trying to understand each other, and you can only sigh... This is all a profound mystery. At times, your marriage seems to be an unsolvable puzzle, a maze in which you feel lost. And this is why, because of what relationships this close to one another can do, this is why we so desperately need to understand faith and what it means to walk by faith, the importance of faith. This morning... If you're sitting here and if you have felt the crushing pain of 
of a marriage relationship, you know what it's like to be in tight relationship, and you know what it's like for that relationship to have some sorrow and pain in it. You know what it's like to have some strain in it. You know what it's like to just almost, in a sense, be greater than you can even handle. You don't understand it. You feel overwhelmed. It's like crazy at times. And I want to I point you to Scripture and help us to understand what is going on and how it is we walk through this. We're going to start this morning by looking at what faith is and what faith is not. Because until we get a proper understanding and definition of faith and move from there, we're kind of all of a sudden, I think a lot of times we misunderstand what it is. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 is the, the clearest, simplest definition of what faith is. The Bible has explicitly stated what faith is. And this is vitally important because we mess it up all the time. Now, let's read this. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen or not seen. So by definition, faith is believing and trusting that the stuff you see in life, if you are, let me rephrase that because that's kind of going to be confusing. If If you think by faith, it's believing and trusting the things that you see in front of you. You're not understanding faith. Faith is not believing and trusting and hoping in the things in front of you. It's actually looking at, there's nothing in front of you. And it's stepping forward into that, nothing. Believing and trusting the promise. You know, I've actually messed up in the past in explaining faith because I've talked about it. I don't know if you guys ever remember one time. It t- takes faith to sit in the chair you're sitting in. Because, and it's true to a certain extent. There is a certain kind of faith that takes to sit in that chair you sat in this morning. Because when you plop down, you believe that those legs would hold you up. Otherwise, you wouldn't have plopped down. Right? However, biblical faith is different than that. Because you've got to notice something about this definition. It's, if, this is what it says. It's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of what? The conviction of what? Things seen? Oh, no. <laughs> conviction of things unseen. This, this is pivotal. This is pivotal. We have to understand that it's the conviction of something you do not see. You don't see it. And this is, this is very important. So faith is believing that you're going to receive what God has promised even though you cannot see it. And oftentimes it's contrary to what you actually see. And it's just, uh, it isn't, and here's another qualification here, it isn't just belief that it is possible. The text says it's the conviction. It's the assurance that you will receive it even though you can't see it. Here's an example of how I think we misunderstand biblical faith. When God lays before you promises in Christ and says to you, to all who come to Jesus and put their trust in him, I will forgive him their sins. I will cleanse them from all unrighteousness. I will make them holy and blameless. 
Adopt them as my children and put my spirit within them. That's what God declares, right? The person with faith has an assurance and a conviction that what he said is true for them. Now, this is different than believing that Jesus existed and everything in the Bible that it says about him is true and that he did those things. It's also different than having the conviction that it could be true for other people. It has to be the assurance and conviction that you yourself personally lay hold of. When I was a new Christian, I remember going through a struggle within my own faith. I was, I was absolutely confident in who Jesus was, what he did, is the fact that he's at the right hand of the Father, that he was raised from the dead, and all that stuff, I was absolutely confident. In fact, I was, I was even confident that everything he said was true for others. But what, something happened in my life, and I began to struggle with my own faith. Because I had sinned, but I sinned in a way that was high-handed. Now, now, when I say high-handed, I don't mean that I went out and murdered anybody or anything like that. Don't think that I have something secret in the past. But here's what I mean. I knew it was absolutely wrong. And I knew I I shouldn't do it. And I had the conviction that I shouldn't do it. And you know what? I did it anyway. And I remember feeling so much guilt from that and shame from that. I had the hardest time after that for, for quite a while believing that Jesus could actually forgive me. And you know what? I would stand up and I, would, I could declare to anybody that Jesus forgives and Jesus will forgive you. I, I was convinced that he'd forgive everybody else. But I struggled with me. And I, I was just overwhelmed by what I did because I, it was so high-handed. And it wasn't until I came to realize that Jesus actually would forgive high-handed sin as well and understand his mercy and his compassion toward me that I actually believed. And, and you know what I'm saying? What I, I believed, I, lay, I had the assurance and conviction that it was true for me. And when I believed that, I received the blessing of the promise. I received the peace that surpasses understanding. It became effectual to me. And it was a great lesson to understand that there's a difference a lot of times in believing that it's true, in believing that he can, believing that it's possible, as opposed to actually believing that, yes, it's true for me in my case. What God has promised is true. So faith is not believing that God can. It's believing that God does. It's the assurance and conviction that what he has said will come to pass even though we can't see it or it seems contradictory to what we do see. I think so many of us stand outside of God's blessings because we struggle to believe the promises in this way. Perhaps you're finding yourself in difficult circumstances in your marriage right now. And yet, there are promises that God holds out to you. And what are they? Promises that He is sovereignly governing all things that take place in your life. Matthew 10, 29. That He is giving you the, the discipline you need to trust Him. Hebrews 12, 5-8. 
and that everything is going to be worked out for, for you for good, according to Romans 8.28. So now, no matter where you find yourself at in your marriage, God has promised. But now, you must walk by faith. And this means that you lay hold of these promises and make them your own and stand on them as if they were the most reliable concrete under your feet. Remember, it isn't faith to believe that is possible for God. It isn't faith to believe that this is something God could do. It is faith when you have the, the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things unseen. Let's go a little further than that and ask this, investigate this question. Why is this kind of faith essential for a healthy marriage? Why do we have to have this kind of faith? And what's, why is it essential and why will it produce a healthy marriage? Well, in marriage, let me guarantee you something. God is going to break you. He is going to expose the fact that you are weak. He is going to expose your pride. He is going to show you that apart from him, you can do nothing. And you know why? Do you know why he's going to do that? Because he is a good heavenly father. And he knows what it takes to get you to stop trusting yourself to stop trusting your circumstances, to stop trusting others, to stop trusting things, and to start trusting him. He knows what it takes, believe me. Hebrews 12, if you want to turn there, you got, it's good. We're just one chapter over from Hebrews 11. Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 5. Get this in your bones and understand it because your life is filled with trouble and you'll understand why right here. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Not, do not be weary when he reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones who he loves. And chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Now get, listen to this. If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. And then down in verse 11. For the, at the moment, all discipline seems painful. Amen? Yes. Painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. So God is continually going to bring events and circumstances into your marriage and into your life that crush you. 
and break you and expose you. And why? Because he loves you. Because he loves you too much to let, leave you trusting in yourself, to trusting in people, to trusting in circumstances, to trusting in things. You need to be trusting in him and in him alone. Cling to him and him alone. You know, all of us need to learn deep down in our bones that God alone is our strength. That God alone is our wisdom. That God alone is our provider. That God alone is in charge of everything in our lives. We need to learn that deep in our bones. Because we know that, don't we? We know that. But seldom do we lay hold of that. There's a big difference. And until we learn to surrender ourselves in every circumstance and every situation to his will and completely trust him for the outcome, we will continue to have our knuckles wrapped. We will continue to experience discipline. So in your marriage, your spouse, if your spouse is driving you crazy, and you don't know if you can handle much more, guess what? It's from God. That's from your Heavenly Father. He is bringing this into your life to show you that you don't really trust Him like you should. He's showing you how much you believe that good circumstances are what will make life a blessing. Don't we believe that? That, man, my life would be so good. Wouldn't your life be so good if you had just a great home, lots of money in the bank, you know, a nice wife or husband who's loving you, everything's where kids are all working out. When we think of good, we think of blessing, we think of things going great, we think of all the little things in life just going the way we want. That's what we think. It takes a lot of discipline for us to learn, you know what I need? You know the only thing I need? The, only, the thing that I need more than anything? The thing that really brings true blessing? The thing that brings life and life to, life to the fullest? is God. And Him alone. Just Him. If I have Him, I have everything. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. Fullness of life is not found in things. It's found in God. You know, because anytime you hate the circumstances you're in, you hate where God has placed you. You hate his will for your life. You hate where he, is, he has you because you have not, at this point, learned to love his will and to trust his promises. So the quicker we stop hating it, and the faster we begin to look to God to supply what we need in the midst of it, and to trust him for his promises, the sooner we will know his blessing in the midst of our circumstances. Do you know what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego realized as they followed God? That when they were in the midst of the furnace, 
they met God. God shows up in the midst of the furnace. And in our lives, we, we won't even know how good God is. We won't even know how great he is until we find him in the middle of the furnace. And we find him there and not, we'll give praise, we'll give thanksgiving, we'll rejoice and our testimony to be the world will be, our God is good. And they look at our lives and they say, are you kidding me? How could it be good? I'll tell you what, it's good. Because my God is good. And he's met me and he's filled me and he has blessed me. But your life, your circumstances, they stink. They're not good. Yeah, but that's my God. He meets you in the middle of the furnace. However, if you kick against the place in which God has placed you, if you insist on having your own way, if you are constantly wanting something more, different and constantly grumbling about your circumstances I will guarantee you this your life and your marriage are going to get worse before they get better well let me let me rephrase that if you're God's children <laughs> they'll get worse and if they get better and your life is all rosy and air circumstances everything's great and you're you're missing one thing you're missing in your life you're looking around no spankings then you should be worried. If everything's great in your life and there is the discipline of God is missing, it says in Hebrews 12, what does it say? That means that you're illegitimate. And now that's a mind bender and a twister. We often think the exact opposite because we live not according to faith but according to sight. And we see these things and we see these are the blessed of the Lord. But if you walk by sight, if you have to have things working out just right before you're happy, then I will doubt that your marriage is any good at all. In fact, if your marriage is no good at all, I guarantee you, you'll be daydreaming about getting out. Love to, but what holds you there is like all the social pressures and everything around you realizing it's not a good thing to do. And then perhaps, you know, I bet you at times you beg God to somehow end this thing. Somehow end it. And if that's us, and if that's where we find ourselves, then there will be no blessing until we learn to give thanks for what he's given us. In faith, believing. Trusting him for what he's promised us. And looking to him to give us the grace we need to live where he's placed us. But if this is hard for you, if you think of this, you go, wow, I don't know. I don't know if I can do that. My faith is so small, it seems. I don't know if I can trust God. Man, that's a big one. Don't despair. Because there is a way for you to cultivate and strengthen your faith. So how do you do that? How do you cultivate and strengthen your faith so that you can walk by faith in marriage and in life and through the tough, difficult times find yourself still saying, I am well, God is good, and things are going well, even in the midst of bad circumstances? Well, here's how we can do this. I guarantee you that if your faith is weak, 
you're going to need to take some serious steps to make some changes in your life. Otherwise, it won't happen. And and listen to what it says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. It says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, obviously, back in that day, faith uh, came by hearing the word because they didn't have it printed and everyone didn't have a copy. So the reason you had to hear it because that's the only place you can get it. You have to go to the synagogues, the only place that had any scriptures. And and then the prophets and evangelists and and apostles had the word of God delivered to them so they could declare the works of God. So if you were to grow in your faith, you had to hear it. You couldn't read it. It just easily could say, because in our day, it could just as easily say, faith comes by the word of God and by your studying it. It could say that just as easily because it's not that you have to hear it, but you have to get it. But don't think this. This is what I don't want you to think. I don't want to think that if you simply pick up your Bible, do a little Bible reading, then go on your day, check your list. I did my Bible reading thinking that somehow, hey, why is my faith not growing? Well, Romans 12 once says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You're not going to be transformed unless your mind is being renewed on... And here's the fundamental thing. You know what the Bible's talking about? You've got to be renewed on something. It's talking about who God is, who you are, and what this world is all about, and how he governs and works in it. It's God's revealed revealing himself and what he's doing in and through man to bring things to a consummation at the end and setting all things in according to his plan. And so within it, though, there's all kinds of things that we must take the time to set our minds on. We must diligently start to to fix our hearts on because until we really get to know our God, our faith will always be as small as our God. So if you want to strengthen your faith, God has got to start, bl- start blowing your minds and hearts apart. And let me give you an example of what this is like. So what do you do? How do you meditate? How do you think about? How do you ponder who God is? Take this one aspect of what God is like, like the fact that he's infinite. Psalm 139, Psalm 139 verses 7 through 10 says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Now, meditate on that for a moment. Meditate on God's infiniteness. The fact, he's saying here, he's everywhere. You can't escape him. He, no matter where you go, he's there. If you were to go to the edge of the known universe and you looked out, you'd think, oh no, it just keeps going. It has no end. Why can't we find an end? We swim in eternity. It's like we go to the, oh, I thought that was the edge. No, it doesn't end. And then we go the other direction, go into a cell and go deeper into a cell. And as far as we go, we can, as far as what we have, we find these quirks and things. And, we, and there's reason to believe, of course there is, something beyond it. Guess what? 
There is, and it doesn't end. We'll spend our, our lives trying to search out the things of God, and you cannot exhaust it. You can't find his end. And here's the other thing. No matter where you go, in either direction, you know who you'll find there? God. It's not just that the, there's space there. He's there upholding it all. His spirit is there. Where can I go from your spirit? No matter how far I go, no matter where I go, and no matter what direction, he says he's there. And he says my, his right hand upholds me. Now, if that doesn't blow your mind and, and start to mess with you and think, oh, you know, live there for a while, dwell there for a while, you know, go watch. You know, the funniest thing ever sometimes is you ever watch a Discovery Channel that goes into the universe and talks about, and they're, they're unbelievers? Cracks me up. I'm on the floor worshiping God. I can't even believe it. It just amazes me. I don't even, uh, wow, this God that I serve causes me to fear and to tremble, and I can't even imagine the fact of how infinite he is or what that even means. I'm a finite creature, and he's infinite. And so as God begins to grow in our minds and we get to understand him, he gets bigger and bigger and bigger. You know when your God gets bigger, you know what happens to your little world? It gets smaller and smaller. You know what happens to your circumstances? They get smaller and smaller. The bigger your God, the smaller your problems. And we start, oh, wow. It's a joke to him. Then ask the question, how does this apply, knowing this about God? How does this apply to my life? How does it apply to where I'm at right now? Well, no matter where you're at, his hand upholds you. He is there in power and goodness in the middle of it. I'm, infinite, I'm finite, he's infinite. Ponder Also this, maybe ponder this. Ponder the fact that everything happens according to the counsel of his will. That he sovereignly ordains all that comes to pass. Think about this for a moment. Matthew chapter 10 verses 29 through 31 says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet no one, not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father's will. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So the fact that he can number the hair on every person's head The fact that he can number the hairs on every single person's head should alone, just let your mind dwell on that for a moment, that's crazy. That's mind-boggling. He knows the number of sand particles on the seashore. Mind-blowing. Just think about the fact that not a single sparrow which he says is much less, he points out its value, is much less than you, and not a single sparrow falls to the ground apart from your Father's will. Of how much more value are you? That's what Jesus is saying. I want you to understand the power, the glory, and the goodness of God. What does that mean for your life? It means that wherever you find yourself, whatever circumstances you're in, this is what's true. A, it's exactly what God wants for you at the time. And B, he is working it out for your good. So you know what I know something? All of our worrying 
doesn't change a thing. It can't. And our willingness to surrender to God doesn't change a thing except us. I don't know if I can let go. Oh, really? <laughs> You're think, our thinking that we're holding on is a joke. Our thinking that, you know, I don't know if I can trust God here. Well, you better because it doesn't matter. Whether you hold on or whether you let go, you know that the, thing, the only, only thing that changes there is you. It doesn't change the fact God's like, oh, no, I can't do anything here. I'm struggling. They won't let go. They just won't surrender. I, I, you know, I'm handcuffed. No, it's all happening according to his will. Every little bit of it. So, so it's weird, isn't it? In life, have you ever found yourself almost having a hard time, say, trusting God or handing over to God as if somehow that makes a difference with, with God? Well, it doesn't change the fact that he's sovereignly ordaining it all, governing it all. So you might as well enjoy the ride. But that's more that's easier said from here than done. Because people of flesh, the flesh loves physical things. The flesh actually only can live in the physical. The spirit and the spirit in us is what can lay hold of the unseen. The seen is where the flesh dwells and that's what the flesh longs for. The unseen is where the spirit dwells and what the spirit can do. So in us, by the Spirit, we believe in the unseen promises of God. Our flesh hates it, can't stand it, loves the physical, loves everything tangible. But God calls us to trust. You know, and as we start to, as God starts to increase and our problems decrease, our faith grows, our faith is strengthened. Faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by the word of God. Faith comes by understanding God and understanding ourselves under God and understanding the world he's created. So why is, why is faith so essential for marriage? Because God is in heaven and he is going to bring difficulty into your life and he is going to teach you that you nor anything in this life have what you're looking for it is God alone God alone who has what you're looking for and until you trust him hope in him look to him delight in him and stand with confidence on his promises you will never have what you're looking for in marriage. But trust in the Lord and smile confidently in his promises and look to him and blessings will flow. You will receive in yourself his goodness. And no matter what your circumstances might be like, you'll be able to say, my God is good, and his promises are sure. Amen.
Father, we're thankful that you are indeed in heaven and we are on earth and that you are here by your spirit dwelling in us at the same time. That you're with us in every detail of life. I'm so thankful that you give us promises and that your word is true and that you by your spirit work in us and create faith in us. And Father, stir us and make us hungry to know you, hungry for you, hungry for your promises, hungry for your presence. And as we know you and as we delight in you and as we trust in you, we find all that we're looking for in life. And as you grow and our faith in you is strengthened, may the problems, may the circumstances in our marriage and all that we find ourselves in begin to fade away. And we find that you indeed are true and are good. Amen.